0: listener production.
1: Over the last week, you will have heard a lot about Roe versus Wade, the American Supreme Court abortion case that was overturned on Friday. Now, in this episode of The Briefing, we focus in on the Roe part of that case and bring you the story of Jane Roe.
2: This is my deathbed confession.
1: (laughs) So, Jane Roe was a pseudonym for a young woman called Norma McCorvey who tried to get an abortion but couldn't. Later in life, She then became a Christian and an anti-abortion activist until, on her deathbed, she said something that shocked everyone, including the Australian journalist who was interviewing her for a documentary.
2: She just started confessing to these huge, historically significant things that I had no idea were coming. I was absolutely gobsmacked. My jaw dropped.
1: So, in this episode of The Briefing, the story of Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Jane Roe. First, today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It is Thursday, June 30.
0: R. Kelly has been sentenced to 30 years in prison for using his celebrity power to sexually abuse fans, some of whom were just children.
1: Yeah, this is a big story. So allegations first emerged about the R&B star Robert Sylvester Kelly as far back as the 1990s, but despite several lawsuits... He continued to sell millions of records, but the allegations never went away, some of which were made very public in the surviving R. Kelly documentary series that came out in 2019.
0: Yeah, so he was arrested that year, and by September last year, a Brooklyn court found Kelly guilty of racketeering and sex trafficking. So he's 55 now, and this sentence is going to stretch into his 80s, and he's still facing another trial in August in Chicago.
1: Outside the Brooklyn Court where the sentence was handed down, R. Kelly's lawyer had this to say
0: For us it's just the beginning of the fight frankly, so we were prepared going in for today and he and he's doing okay with it. A sense of strange optimism Mm. there, given so many victims and and they gave some really powerful victim impact statements as well. Uh, R. Kelly called the Pied Piper of Children. Just some unbelievable stuff that that court has heard. And this also happens a day after a New York court sentenced Ghislaine Maxwell to 20 years jail.
1: And the US Secret Service is preparing to respond to those explosive allegations about the former President Donald Trump at the January six House Select Committee, with one agent reportedly considering testifying.
0: Yeah, so this comes after Trump's former aide, Cassidy Hutchinson, told the hearing that Trump lunged for the steering wheel of a vehicle and attacked Tony Engel, who was the chief of his security detail on the day of the Capitol attack, when he was told he couldn't go there to be with his supporters. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his
1: arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. Yeah, just an incredible testimony there from Cassidy Hutchinson yesterday. Um, CBS News and other outlets in America are now reporting several Secret Service agents will have more to say in response And both Tony Engel and the driver are prepared to testify under oath that neither man was physically assaulted and Trump didn't grab the wheel. So conflicting accounts there.
0: To more sentencing news, this time in Paris, where the lone surviving terrorist involved in the 2015 attacks on Bataclan Theatre and other Parisian targets has been found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison.
1: So the rest of the 10-man terror unit died that night, either killing themselves or being shot by police. And sentences are also being handed down for another 18 people found guilty of providing planning and support. Um, Those sentences are being delivered as we record this episode, and they're expected to range between four and 30 years.
0: This trial has been going for nine months now. It's attracted a lot of attention given it was France's worst peacetime attack. Uh, 130 people were killed and more than 490 injured.
1: And a warning, this next story contains um, some distressing content. The family of Hannah Clark is urging all of the recommendations from the coronial inquest into her death be carried out.
0: Yeah, so Hannah was murdered by her estranged husband along with her three children when he set their car on fire and then fatally stabbed himself in February 2020. I think it just shocked the entire nation. Yesterday, the coroner handed down her report on that murder. We need to see all this, everything that's been recommended, implemented in every state.
1: That's Sue Clark, Hannah's mother, speaking. So among the recommendations, Deputy State Coroner Jane Bentley has called for extra training for police and also recommended a year-long trial for a specialist domestic violence police station. In her findings, she declared police couldn't have done more to stop the murders, also saying that Rowan Baxter was not mentally ill, he was a master of manipulation.
0: And if you need to seek help for family and domestic violence, you can call 1-800-RESPECT.
1: Uber and the Transport Workers' Union have struck a landmark agreement on proposed employment standards and benefits.
0: So all this follows the deaths of seven food delivery drivers in 2020. This happened at the peak of the pandemic. Three of those drivers were with Uber.
2: No one, when they're getting in an Uber... No one, when they're
1: answering that knock at the door to receive their food, expects that those workers are literally under deadly pressures. That's Michael Kane from the Transport Workers Union. So this new agreement's been hammered out following months of negotiations, and it means there'll be a minimum earning safety net, a mechanism to resolve disputes, and an independent body to represent the workers.
0: Yeah, all good things. DoorDash has signed a similar agreement with the union while Menulog is pursuing a new modern award. At the moment, gig workers are treated as contractors, which means they have no right to a minimum wage or even sick leave.
1: Yeah, so this new agreement will treat them more like employees, um, which is essentially what they are and means they'll be much better looked after. We'll catch you later, Katrina. I'm about to go deep on the real story behind the row in Roe vs Wade. Right now to the story behind the abortion case that's dividing America all over again. The Roe v. Wade Supreme Court ruling of 1973, which was overturned on Friday, paving the way for individual American states to make their own decisions on abortion. Now, the New York Times is reporting that seven states have already banned it, and it's expected more will follow. So what would Roe think of this? And who was she? Well, Henry Wade was the district attorney in Texas where the case began before the appeal process took it to the Supreme Court. Jane Rowe was a pseudonym for a young Texan woman called Norma McCorvey. Now twenty two years after the case, she became a Christian and changed her mind on abortion and became a campaigner to have her own case overturned. Yes, she became an anti abortion campaigner. But as you're about to hear, she then told her true story on her deathbed in 2016. That she'd only swung in favour of that movement because they'd paid her huge sums of money. Now, she gave this confession to Nick Sweeney, an Australian-born director of a documentary called AKA Jane Rowe. Now, you can watch it on Disney+. Nick joins us from his home in New York to tell this story. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Anorma McCauvey was pregnant with her third child in 1969. She said she'd been raped and tried to get an abortion but couldn't because they were illegal in Texas. How did she then become the famous Jane Roe from Roe v. Wade? She
2: ended up coming across two lawyers who were actually hoping to challenge the abortion ban. What those lawyers needed was a plaintiff who fit a very specific description. They had to be young, female, pregnant, white, for the purposes of um, what they considered to be the ideal plaintiff at the time, and also somebody who couldn't travel or couldn't afford to travel across state borders to get an abortion. They needed somebody poor, and Norma really fit that bill. What's really interesting is that Norma ended up probably being not quite the poster goal that they had in mind for abortion, but she was also the only person that they could use. She was the plaintiff that fit the bill.
1: Okay, so the case happens, it takes a few years, it's 1973 when that famous Supreme Court decision is handed down. When did she eventually step out from behind the pseudonym of Jane Rowe and enter the public debate as Norma McCorvey?
2: Norma had remained anonymous or largely anonymous throughout the case. The lawyers had given her that option because they were concerned that she would end up getting harassed or heckled because she was the the woman behind abortion. So she remained anonymous until the 80s and then began to make more and more public appearances. And immediately she presented what some might call a challenge to the abortion rights movement. Norma was unpredictable and she was for lack of a better word, messy, she would go off script. And one of the earliest appearances that she made publicly as Jane Roe, she admitted that she had not been raped. And many people who were seeking to challenge or or undermine abortion rights, they saw that as evidence that this whole case was decided on a lie, which was not actually the case.
1: So she becomes a voice in the pro-abortion movement, but a quite unreliable one, and she's not really necessarily accepted as the right kind of person to put forward for this movement. And then there's a huge twist in the mid-90s where she becomes a Christian.
0: I've modified my uh, religious path. I've changed my position on choice. I'm sorry for being so, so terribly, terribly dumb and so, so naive. I thought I was doing something right. I didn't realise that I would be leading... Innocent children to a senseless and terrible death.
1: She becomes a Christian, she changes her views, and she even goes so far as to voice an ad and become a spokesperson for overturning Roe versus Wade.
0: Hello, I'm Norma McCorvey. Today, as a born-again Christian and a faithful Catholic, I'm working to reverse Roe. Your vote could determine who the next Supreme Court justice will be, the one justice who can either vote to continue Roe as the law of the land or vote to overturn that decision.
1: So, Nick, this was a huge turnaround. How did this whole conversion happen?
2: In the mid-'90s, Norma made a 180-degree pivot that nobody saw coming. It was so extreme and so shocking that it was national news. I mean, it was all over the papers. It was on the front page. It was episodes of the evening news programs were devoted to this dramatic pivot. Norma McCorvey, Jane Roe had become baptized in a suburban backyard, Texas swimming pool.
1: We forgive you in Jesus' name.
2: She'd found God and she was now campaigning against abortion. The reason why I think this was seen as such a win for the anti-abortion movement was the idea that if Jane Roe herself feels this way about abortion, then abortion must be wrong. Mm. She was very involved in the anti-abortion movement for a number of
1: years. And then there's another big twist in her story, which is when she finally sits down for an interview with you, where she makes this confession.
0: This is my deathbed confession. (laughs) I was the big fish. You know, I took their money and they put me
2: out
1: in front of the cameras and tell me what to say. This is just absolutely huge that she finally said this, Nick, um, right before she died a year later in 2017. How did this whole thing come about? Why did you pursue her? Why did you think you should make a documentary about her? And did you expect her to say that?
2: It was really interesting. The, the reason why I was initially drawn to the story of Norma McCorvey back in 2016, back when... Everybody thought that Hillary was going to win the election and that Roe versus Wade was settled law. The reason why I was drawn to it was because I'm gay myself. And what I thought was really interesting that here was this person who lived as an out and proud lesbian for decades who suddenly declared that she was straight. And I just thought, what a strange thing to have happened. I wonder if there's more to that story than what's out there. And so I made contact with her. And the first time I spoke to her, she actually hung up on me and told me to f off. And then a few days later, she sent me a text and that text said, what congregations do you worship at? And I was honest with her. I said, I, I don't go to a congregation. I live in New York with my male partner and, and she pretty quickly said, okay, let's meet up. So I went down to Texas and we hung out a lot before we even started filming. She would want to go for a walk around the park or, you know, sometimes defeat the ducks. And what became very clear firstly, was that she was still a lesbian. She would wolf whistle at attractive women as they walked past, but also that she had something to say about her anti-abortion activism. What that was, I really had no idea what was coming. I very clearly remember the day that she made her, what she called her deathbed confession. We were sitting there and she often liked to colour. She would do these adult colouring books. And I was filming her doing that. And then she just said, this is my deathbed confession. And I kind of froze and went in. And then she just started confessing to these huge, you know, historically significant things that I had no idea were coming. I was absolutely gobsmacked. My jaw dropped. And, you know, I was doing my best to kind of just not, you know, explode in my head because of the casual way that she was talking about these huge seismic things. And then I asked her, it was an act? And she said, yeah, and I did it well too. I'm a good actress.
1: I am a good actress. Of course, I'm not acting now.
2: I was just so shocked at the kind of, the way that she was talking about these things. And I think what was really important to me in that moment was to corroborate these claims that she was making.
1: That's an interesting point because she told a number of lies in her life. Did you believe her at that moment?
2: You know, I did believe her because in addition to the things that Norma was saying about, you know, it was an act and I took their money and they tell me what to say. She did give a number of very uh, passionate statements in support of abortion. She said Roe versus Wade helped save women's lives. And if a young woman wants to have an abortion, fine, it's no skin off my ass. That's why they call it a choice. She was somebody who believed that women should have more choices, not, not less. And I think that as shocked as I was in that moment, it did actually make sense in the months leading up to and the months afterwards. She made countless other statements in support of abortion. So I did believe her. But I think what really was important was to corroborate what mm. she was seeing with the architects of her anti-abortion flip.
1: Yeah. Um, and I'd actually like to play that moment from the film where you actually speak to Reverend Rob Schenck, who who was, as you say, an architect of the campaign to bring her on as a spokesperson, here's what you got him to say is incredible. What we did with Norma was highly unethical. Norma was a target. She was less defended. We saw that her greatest weaknesses could be exploited. Norma was coached in what to say. Nick, that was incredible to hear him admit the way they used her.
2: When we played what... Norma had confessed to to Rob Schenk, who was a key figure in getting her over to the anti abortion side. He said, The jig is up. Those were his words. And the things that he was saying were just so startling to me. Rob said, What we did with Norma was highly unethical. Mm. Norma would be coached, and there were so many people cutting checks to her on the anti abortion side that it was impossible to even know how much. He'd worried that if they stopped paying her, then she'd switch back again. His exact words were one minute you're selling Nissan and the next minute you're selling Chevys. I mean, the way that people like Norma and Rob spoke about all of this was so transactional and so frank and so shocking.
1: And so, Nick, you eventually found evidence of around about half a million dollars of financial benefits that Norma received, which is just mind blowing. I want to turn to the events of the last week with. Roe versus Wade being overturned. Norma died in 2017, so we can't get her reaction. How do you think she'd be feeling about what's just happened?
2: Well, I'll tell you what. Norma Norma is not around, but Norma's daughter actually was on the news the other day over here. And what she said was that Norma would be devastated that Roe had been overturned. What Norma's daughter said was that Norma would be devastated that her grandkids wouldn't have the same rights that she fought for just under 50 years ago, and I I think, you know, Norma's daughter knew her better than anybody. Based on my experience with Norma, I think Norma would be stunned and shocked at the the turn of events of the last few days. As shocking as the events of the last few days are with Roe being overturned, I think they're kind of also an appropriate ending to her very messy and unpredictable Mm -hmm. life story.
1: So if you hadn't made this doco, if you hadn't sat down and unearthed her new point of view, that in fact she she had supported the decision all along and had only fought against abortion because of the money she was given by the Christians. Would she have gone to her deathbed without the public knowing where she really stood?
2: It's an interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I think that when I first got down and started filming with Norma, what I didn't realise, but what she did realise, was that she didn't have that long left. I thought she was a feisty older lady who still had a lot of life left in her, but I think she knew that that she was going to die soon and that if she didn't tell her her own story in her own words, then somebody else would attempt to. And that's what this film was about, letting her tell her story in all of its colourful glory, letting her, you know, be herself and go off script and swear and tell dirty jokes and all of those types of things to really show who she really was. So I don't know if she would have had a chance to tell her story if... I hadn't been in the right place at the right time. It's, it's difficult to know. And maybe part of Norma's legacy is that, um, that everything is not black and white. And I know that she really, really found herself like fighting against people's expectations of what she should be on mm. both the abortion rights and anti-abortion movements. And um, I think there's a real tendency to reduce somebody to a kind of trophy, which I think she felt her whole mm. life. But in the end, she really just wanted to be Norma. She wanted to be herself and, you know, she was willing to go off script um, and say what she wanted regardless of the consequences.
1: That was Nick Sweeney, the director of AKA Jane Rowe, a documentary you can watch on Disney+. Plus. An incredibly fascinating story that just highlights how divisive this issue is and has been for decades and also some of the unethical practices some of the Christian anti-abortion campaigners used. Tomorrow on The Briefing, a really interesting personal story about hip-hop and hard times for an African-American growing up in regional Australia.
0: Listener